Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Kansas City Royals 5, the Cleveland Guardians 1, and they were lucky to get that one. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And what a clunker of a finale against the Kansas City Royals. I mean, come on, after, after Saturday's outburst, the 13 runs, the 23 hits, we come back and score one in the ninth inning on a wild pitch. We can't even get an RBI on the day after going off for 13 runs. And of course, Francona could not resist tinkering with the lineup. He couldn't resist on a Sunday. He had to tinker with a lineup on a Sunday. All right, so let's get into it. We'll get into the storylines of this game. We do have some good fun news, which is three Guardians have been selected to the American League All-Star team, so we will talk about that. And uh, Ken from Iowa has a follow-up email for us, so we will jump into Ken's email, too, at the end of this episode. So... Yeah, we got to start with the game, though. We got to start with the storylines of the game. And the top storyline of this game was, I mean, Granky. Granky, the old veteran Granky, who's now reached 50,000 pitches in his career, was fantastic against us. And you've got to, at this point in his career, you've got to treat Granky like a knuckleball pitcher, basically. Right? The old model for a knuckleball pitcher is if it's low, let it go. If it's high, let it fly. Meaning, if a knuckleball pitcher throws you something that already starts at the belt or at the knees, the bottom is falling out of that pitch. It is going to end up in the dirt below your knees. Well, it kind of was the same thing for Granky, but they just kept hacking. They just kept hacking at his curveball. Um, his final line on the day, uh, jumping back to the box score here, he only goes five innings, but he gives up only three hits, no runs, one walk, five strikeouts from Granky on 86 pitches. He's only hard hit five times. When they weren't swinging and missing, they were just beating this ball into the ground. So his CSW numbers on the day, 10 swings on his curveball, five whiffs, a 50% whiff rate. Plus two called strikes in there, one to Nolan Jones that he'll remember. A 41% CSW on that pitch, on that curveball. It was nasty stuff. And here's the thing. We did put four of them in play, right? Average exit velocity of 79.2 miles per hour. Oof. I mean, yeah, that curveball was just fantastic from Granky. And if we go over to the illustrator here for Granky. And he's locating a ton of them down below the zone. Every A lot of stuff was down on the day for Granky. His changeup was down. Even his fastball and his cutter, he was keeping down. But we were chasing a lot of stuff outside of the zone here. If I go to his strikeouts, uh, his strikeouts, most of them were on the curveball. Uh, one was on the changeup. He got Austin Hedges on a changeup below the knees. He got Ahmed Rosario chasing a curveball way down and away. He got Fermil Reyes twice on the curveball, both swing strikes. Those are actually in the zone. Those ones, I, I, okay, I'll give him credit because he started off throwing it low, and then those are actually in the zone, and then he locks up Nolan Jones with a called strike three on the curveball. I think Jones was trying to do, the, if it's low, let it go. If it's high, let it fly. I think he was here. 
I mean, it's a 3-2 count in that second inning. And he was banking on the fact that Granky was going to try to get him to chase that curveball. Uh, but, I mean, Granky was really locked in. When he wanted to throw for a strike, he threw for a strike. When he wanted to bury it in the dirt, he buried it in the dirt. So, yeah, uh, four of his five strikeouts coming on that curveball. But let's take a look at just the swinging strikes. Just the swinging strikes, and it's a bunch of curveballs down at the knees or below. Um, and then a bunch of cutters down and away. I mean, that cutter's only coming in at 85 miles per hour. It's functioning more like a slider at this point than a cutter. And he got Fermil Reyes to chase it a bunch out there. He got Owen Miller to chase one out there. It's all the right-handed hitters uh, were chasing stuff. Fermil Reyes had a really bad day. I mean, he was swinging at a ton of stuff, um, chasing a lot against Granky. I mean, Granky really threw him off here. And, you know, something we never do, we can actually flip around the player breakdown page and look at the batters and see what the CSW numbers were for the batters. Man, uh, Reyes had an 82% whiff rate on the day. An 82. He swung 11 times on the day against Granky, against the bullpen. He had nine whiffs on 11 swings, an 82% whiff rate. For Fermil Reyes on the day. Did not put one ball in play on the day. That is that is rough stuff for Fermil Reyes there. It's kind of falling into some old patterns there. He was 0 for 4 with 4 strikeouts. That's falling into some old patterns there for Fermil Reyes in the middle of the lineup. Now, I believe Naylor was supposed to be your cleanup hitter on the day. And, uh, you know, he adjusted the lineup a little bit. Uh, before the game started, I didn't really hear why Naylor was scratched. He, but when I looked at the lineup, he was definitely in there playing first base, hitting in the four hole. And of course, like I said, he can't resist tinkering with the lineup. So he gives Andres Jimenez the day off, which fine, I get it. If Andres Jimenez actually needs a day off, fine. It's a long season. I understand that. But God, he puts in Owen Miller in his spot. And then when Naylor is a scratch, he doesn't go back to his all-star second baseman who should be playing nearly every day. Instead, he goes to Ernie Clement at second base, moves Owen Miller over to first base, and they have a terrible day. The bottom of the lineup is just awful. You'll see, I mean, Clement and Straw each have a hit, but multiple times they strand guys on base. It was just a really bad, you know, nothing. There was no punch from the bottom of this lineup whatsoever. And if he's truly giving Andres Jimenez the day off, like, look, kid, you know, take a day off your feet, uh, you know, save your strength because we've got eight games coming up in like seven days. Then he pinch hits him in the ninth inning in a meaningless spot in the ninth inning when you're getting your butts kicked. Like, what are you trying to accomplish there in that ninth inning? He ends up striking out to end the game. I... I just, I don't understand why he has to tinker with the lineup on Sundays. He can't resist. He has to mess with stuff on Sundays. He can't just let the best lineup, the lineup that was fantastic on Saturday night, come out there and keep rolling on Sunday. He doesn't want another lefty in there against Granky. I, I don't understand what's going on here. Why, why, oh, he tinkers with this lineup so much. I get that you got to try to get at-bats for Owen Miller 
in there, right? He's Owen Miller is going to be the odd man out because these other guys are hitting better than him. They are hitting better than him. Uh, Owen Miller does get the double in the ninth inning and comes up, comes in and scores the run on the wild pitch. But Francona, please, please. I mean, you got a chance to win the Royal series. You should not be losing series to the Royals and the Tigers. You got to put your best lineup out there and get a win. Winning is still an important part of the game here. So yeah, it's it's disappointing. Granky was really dominant, and then their bullpen was fantastic. I mean, the Royals bullpen is supposed to be one of the worst bullpens in baseball, but Friday and Sunday of this series, they proved to be pretty good. Coleman uh, gets himself into a little bit of trouble. He was the wild one of the bunch, but he's able to get out of it. Uh, Kuas has two strikeouts in an inning pitched. Taylor Clark has a clean zeros across the board, literally zeros on 14 pitches. Um, and then Piamps gives up. He does give up a couple hits, does give up the run on the wild pitch, but two strikeouts help him limit the damage in the ninth inning and get out of it. So it's a good day for the Royals. It's a good day for Royals pitching. Uh, they just, they really dominated this lineup. Uh, it's it was kind of it's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of rough after this team put up so many runs the night before and so many hits the night before. You think the offense is awake? No, no, not on this day. Now they did make some good defensive plays. I will give them credit. Isbell in center field was pretty good on the day. He got some great jumps. He got a great jump on a low liner from Stephen Kwan, and he got a great jump on a low liner from. Uh, from Ahmed Rosario. In fact, Ahmed Rosario's lineout had a 900 expected batting average. 993 mile per hour exit velocity, 13 degree launch angle, had a 900 expected batting average, but Isbell was able to run it down. Quan, when he lined out to center field, I'm curious what the expected batting average was on that. It was also a 900 expecting batting average. 991 mile per hour exit velocity, 13 degree launch angle, and Isbell jumped all over that one. He didn't even have to die for that one. He, he slid for Ahmed Rosario's, but he didn't even have to leave his feet for Quant's. Both of those had 900 expected batting averages. Man. Uh, so Isbell was playing some good defense in center field. So you got to give credit sometimes where credit is due. And that guy definitely earned it on the day. Um, they did have situations where they had multiple runners on. Nolan Jones leads off the fifth with a single. So he's got a little hit streak, a little three-game hit streak to start his major league career. Uh, but the guys behind him, Clement left three guys on base. Austin Hedges left four guys on base. Uh, Straw would single in this inning, but Quan couldn't get the big RBI hit. He would ground out to end the fifth. And then they start the seventh inning with back-to-back walks. And then a fly-out, line-out, and ground-out from those bottom three in the order. They can't do anything with it. Um, so yeah, it's it's not the best lineup. And it paid, they paid for it. I mean, especially that seventh inning right there. Uh, Clement, Hedges, and Straw. It's a little bit different if Andres Jimenez is in there, right? And Naylor is in there. It, it lengthens the lineup. We talked about this yesterday. It lengthens that lineup and makes you more competitive from top to bottom. But having both those guys out of the lineup today really hurt. It hurt. It hurt this offense. Um, so on the pitching side of things, Plesak actually was doing all right for a little bit, but then he ended up kind of drifting into the middle of the plate. He just he only lasts five innings. He gives up six hits. He gives up four runs, three earned. 
a walk and five strikeouts at 85 pitches. He's hard hit a little bit more than Granky, although they have very similar days. Um, he's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Uh, but they have very similar days. They both threw in the mid 80s and pitches 85 pitches for Plesak, 57 strikes, 86 pitches for Granky, 54 strikes. So very similar. They were both getting ground balls. Plesak, eight ground balls to three flyouts. Granky, six ground balls to two flyouts. So very similar days from Plesak and Granky. But Plesak did find himself drifting back into the middle of the plate. Frankly, threw some pitches that were up, right? And, and got hit around. Gives up runs in the second inning and then gives up three runs in that fifth inning. So, yeah, in every time, he was kind of just missing location. There were pitches that were supposed to be down and away to those left-handed hitters that drifted up and in, and he paid for it. The slider was very good for Plesak on the day. A 53% whiff rate on that slider. He threw it the second most behind the four-seam fastball. Uh, it's decent CSW numbers. A 41% CSW on the slider. A 35% CSW on the fastball that's really uh, held up by eight called strikes. It's a 31% total CSW on the day for Plesak, so it is a pretty good day. The average exit velocity off that slider was only 69.1 miles per hour. It was working. The fastball was only 82.4 miles per hour average exit velocity. So those pitches were working. But if we go over to the Illustrator here and we look at the results tab, uh, the hits were up in middle of the plate. Uh, a slider up to Cam Gallagher. Uh, a changeup up to Hunter Dozier. That's the one that I'm pretty sure he doubles on in the second inning into the left field corner and will eventually come around to score. Uh, Andrew Benatendi gets a, a fastball down the middle in the fifth inning on his big hit, his RBI hit. Uh, Melendez, he actually jams him kind of up and in, but he's able to bloop it into center field for the big RBI hit for himself. Uh, so yeah, so that was a pitch that was supposed to be down and away. And it ends up way up and into the left-handed hitter. Uh, same thing with Benatendi's fastball. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. gets a double on a four-seam fastball that uh, was low, but still middle of the plate. Uh, so, yeah. So, he is getting hit hard. Uh, you know, he's leaving balls off. He doesn't give up many hits on the day. It's only five hits on the day, but it's enough. They make him pay for each one of these ones that he leaves middle of the plate. Uh, so missing location, I mean, just, yeah, once or twice, missing location just a few times is the difference between a Granky start and a Plesak start. Now, he was working, I will give him credit here, he was working that slider down, he was getting his strikeouts on that slider, five strikeouts all coming on the slider. Uh, he got Dozier in the strike zone there. He got Whit Merrifield uh, to chase. He got Cam Gallagher to chase. He got Bobby Witt Jr. to chase. All the righties, all five strikeouts are right-handed hitters. And he got Dozier once at the top of the strike zone. If you're going to go up, right, he, he Dozier hits him when he's on the plate, but you got to go up above the shoulders if you want to get that strikeout. And that's where he gets Dozier right at the top of the strike zone there. Um, so, yeah, so that's what was going on with Plesak on the day. The slider was good. But, yeah, you miss one too many times in the middle of the plate, and he ends up paying against a Royals team. Now, it doesn't help that, once again, Plesak gets absolutely no run support. Zero runs scored while he's in the game. 
he is really wearing it. I mean, he's had terrible luck for the last two seasons when it comes to run support. He's the guy that had to go against all those no-hitters last season. And now it's just unbelievable how little run support he is getting out there uh, this season. The bullpen doesn't really... Henches doesn't have much of a better game. Henches ends up giving up three hits. Uh, he only lasts two-thirds of an inning. He gives up another run in the sixth inning. Uh, where was he getting hit? Let's go back to the illustrator here. Let's take a look at the results tab and just middle of the plate. I mean, dead middle of the plate curveball in the middle of the plate to Emmanuel Vera sinker in the middle of the plate at the belt to Isbell, and then a curveball to Nikki Lopez. That isn't a decent spot. I mean, it's down at the thighs. Uh, but yeah, so he was just kind of sitting middle of the plate and getting hammered, uh, with Sam Henches. So, uh, the rest of the bullpen is able to come in and hold it there. But at that point, I mean, five to nothing. And the way the Royals were pitching felt like a mountain to climb. De Los Santos gets out of the inning. And then Trevor Steffen and Nick Sandlin pitch pretty quiet eighth and ninth innings. So uh, actually, no, not even eighth and ninth innings. Seventh and eighth innings. They didn't have to pitch the ninth inning. Uh, they didn't make it that far in the game. So it's a rough one for your Guardians. It's, God, it sucks. It sucks to be below 500. Uh, you know, this should have been a part in the schedule where we were just racking up the wins, and instead, it's it's really deflating. Somehow, we are still holding on to second place in this division. Somehow, I mean, we're only four and a half games back, and we're about to face the White Sox here. So, if you want to stay in second place in this division going into the All-Star break, you're going to have to step up your game against the White Sox at home. Because dropping down a third, man, that would hurt even more going into the All-Star break, right? It would suck even more. We've already lost so much ground over the last few weeks. Uh, we got to try to salvage what we can here before the All-Star break. That way you can come out of the All-Star break with at least some good vibes going into the second half of the season. Now, MVP on the day, nobody, nobody. It was a terrible game for the Guardians. Granke was the MVP on the day. The veteran pitcher who reached 50,000 pitches in his career was MVP on the day. I'm sorry. I hate giving it to the other team, but there's just nobody in the Guardians lineup. There's nobody who pitched for the Guardians yesterday that really deserves MVP for the day. So, uh, yeah, let's get into the All-Star game uh, because we've got some good news here. Let's flip this around. We've got three guys from our team chosen as reserves on the American League All-Star team. Jose Ramirez was a no-doubt-about-it choice at third base. He was the runner-up at third base behind Devers in the voting. Uh, Andres Jimenez makes it. There was actually some decent competition there at second base. And there three second basemen, I believe, make this team. Uh, we got the, uh, the starters, Jose Altuve. He wins the popular vote, although he's having a pretty good season. And then in reserve... Uh, Andres Jimenez makes it. Luis Arise also makes it. Although I thought at one time he was listed on the ballot as an outfielder, uh, but he ends up making it. And uh, Xander Bogarts is your other middle infielder, along with Jose Ramirez as your third baseman. Uh, so yeah, so those are your reserve middle infielders. Uh, will it be interesting to see if Jimenez gets in the game or if he's like that final guy on the bench, right? They always leave like one guy on the bench. You could see the second wave of infielders coming in being Arise, Bogarts, and Ramirez. So it'll be interesting to see if Jimenez gets an at-bat in the game. 
but he really deserves it. I mean, he's really had, I know the Guardians have cooled off and hit kind of a cold streak here. And then, you know, I should say, I should add in there, Emmanuel Cosse makes it as one of the closers, as one of the relievers on this team with Clay Holmes and uh, Gregory Soto and Jorge Lopez for the Orioles. Those are your relief pitchers uh, for the American League. So, and probably Shohei Otani uh, will probably pitch in this game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Otani, who gets the start. Otani's already starting at DH, uh, but who's going to be the starter for the American League will be interesting. If Otani is definitely going to pitch in the game, I'm Major League Baseball is not going to miss that opportunity. But, I mean, when it comes to the top of the American League, not even second baseman, because, yeah, uh, Andres Jimenez is up there in second baseman. He slipped a little bit. He was leading in war. Altuve is now leading war among all AL second basemen. Wins above replacement at 2.8. A great measure that takes everything into account. Puts it all in a pot and uh, gives gives you a number here. Uh, Arise is second at 2.5. Tied with DJ LeMahieu, who didn't make the team. And Andres Jimenez at 2.3. Uh, Jimenez hitting a little better hitting a lot better than uh, DJ LeMahieu on the season, which is surprising. Uh, Jimenez has a 300 batting average, second among American League second baseman behind a rise, better than Altuve, and he's also got a pretty good OPS um, when it comes to these second basemen. On base, plus slugging percentage here. He's going to be one of your top guys in uh, for those second basemen when it comes to OPS. And Fangraphs is moving very slow on me, and he's third. So it's Altuve, Arise, and Andres Jimenez are your top three when it comes to OPS uh, in the American League. But when you just look at the American League overall, uh, Jimenez is in there. He's in the top 20 in a lot of categories and leading in some categories, frankly. Uh, When it comes to war, Jose Ramirez is third in the American League behind Devers and Judge. Uh, Jimenez is 17th. He is in there. He's up there on the leaderboard. When it comes to old school batting average, good old fashioned batting average, uh, Jimenez is actually ninth in the American League at 300. Although I think after yes, after that bet yesterday, didn't he drop down to 299? Anyways, uh, Jose Ramirez comes in at 16th in batting average. When it comes in the WRC plus weighted runs created plus where league average is set to 100. Uh, This is another good measure where you take all those offensive numbers, put them together in a stew, and spit out a number. And uh, Jose Ramirez comes in at fifth in the American League at 166. Jordan Alvarez is leading the American League at 197 WRC+. Uh, Andres Jimenez comes in at 15th at 138. So yeah, he's really been... Uh, you know, contributing well offensively compared to the rest of the American League hitters. He he really has been clutch. He doesn't have as many of the counting numbers because, frankly, Francona doesn't give him enough at-bats. Uh, Francona really kind of, he's really been careful with him this season, and I'm not sure why. Uh, looking at OPS, that's the last number I wanted to look at. Uh, Jose Ramirez comes in at fifth. With a, uh, a 958 OPS. Jordan Alvarez again is leading with over a thousand OPS, 1.058. Uh, Jose Ramirez is fifth, and Andres Jimenez comes in at 15th. 15th. Uh, his fellow second baseman, Altuve and Arise, are sixth and seventh in the American League. So Andres Jimenez definitely has deserved this all star game. He has definitely earned this thing. 
He's been a major contributor offensively. He's been pretty good defensively for most of the season. I know recently he's booted a couple, but he really has been pretty darn good. Uh, Classe, when it comes to Emmanuel Classe, um, he has been pretty fantastic as well in the American League when it comes to relievers. He's leading the American League in saves. It's that simple. You lead the American League. That's the one counting stat where you can't take it away from the guy. You can't. I mean, wins, yes, your team can average 10 runs a game every time you start. And yeah, your win column is going to look pretty good. But the save column, I mean, you there is a very restrictive set of circumstances that qualify for a save. And if you go out there and protect that lead over and over and over again, that's the one counting stat you can't take away. It's kind of like RBIs, right? I think RBIs on the offensive side is the one stat you can't take away from a guy. Now, yes, different guys end up with different opportunities for RBIs, but the matter of fact is if you're driving in runs, the point of the game is to drive in runs, and if you're doing it, that counting stat matters. And it's the same thing with saves. You're holding that lead. You're protecting that lead. You're winning the game for your team. I think that's a pretty impressive counting stat there, saves. So he's leading with 19 um, saves. Uh, in some of these other categories, like war, which isn't exactly the same for, for relief pitchers, he's tied for third uh, with 1.1 war. Uh, Clay Holmes and Michael King from New York both have 1.5. Uh, when it comes to ERA uh, amongst relievers, another uh, you know old, an older stat, right? One we've seen for a long time, but still an important stat. And Fangrass is deciding to move very slowly on the day for me. Uh, when it comes to ERA in the American League, Classe, of course, is up there at the top with the rest of the relievers. He comes in at seventh, actually. Uh, seventh with a 1.53 ERA. Clay Holmes has really been fantastic for the Yankees. A 0.46. All right, let's get into one of the fancy numbers. How about XFIP? Expected fielding independent pitching. So this takes away, this is Class A sweet spot here. It takes away anything that happens in the field. This is the three true outcomes, the walk, the strikeout, and the home run. XFIP, what XFIP does is it takes away just counting home runs, and it looks at the home run to fly ball ratio. And Emmanuel Class A does not give up many fly balls. He is third in the American League when it comes to XFIP uh, at 2.12. Remember, this number is made to look like an ERA, similar to an ERA. Uh, Andres Munez from Seattle is the leader at uh, 1.95, but he's not a closer. Uh, Closers tend to get the nod when it comes to this all-star game stuff. Clay Holmes would be second in the American League at 2.06, and then Emmanuel Classe at 2.12. So yeah, so he is up there with the rest of his fellow starters uh, in a lot of these categories. I mean, I could run through every category, but Emmanuel Classe is basically going to be in the top three, top five along with Clay Holmes from New York. Uh, Johan Duran from Minnesota is up here in a lot of these categories, but he did not get the nod on the All-Star team. Um, Yeah, Gregory Soto from the Tigers has racked up a lot of saves. And then Jorge Lopez from the Orioles. Uh, Let's just look at the save column. I bet you these guys are all going to be near the top. Yeah, Classe. Jordan Romano has the second most saves at 18, but he did not make the team. Uh, Gregory Soto has 17 saves. He's third. Then Clay Holmes. Then Jorge Lopez. Uh, Actually, Clay Holmes and Jorge Lopez are tied in fourth with Liam Hendricks in Chicago uh, with 16 saves. So the save column definitely got some guys elected to the All-Star game. 
So also, you got to find guys from teams, right, that may not have anybody else selected. So Lopez from Baltimore and Detroit and Gregory Soho from Detroit, uh, they do have, uh, I don't know if there's another Oriole selected to the team here. I know the Tigers got Miguel Cabrera selected. That was a uh, a uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball selection. But I don't know if Detroit has anybody else, and I don't know if the Orioles, I'm skimming it really quickly, I don't think the Orioles have anybody else as well. So those are their lone selections to the All-Star team. So, yeah, it's a good showing for your Guardians. It's a really good showing. I'm excited. I'm glad these guys get in there. Uh, it's going to be really good. I mean, Jose Ramirez, you know, it's great to be a starter in the Amer- in the All-Star game, but it's going to be fun to watch our Guardians in there in kind of the clutch moments of the game. If you stay awake to the end of the game, hopefully a Guardians player is going to be able to make a big impact. Uh, maybe, who knows, maybe we'll get another MVP, All-Star Game MVP trophy uh, in Cleveland to go along with Shane Bieber's from a few years ago. So, uh, yeah, that's great news on the All-Star Game. We kind of had a feeling those were going to be the three, and it's just great to see it finally officially uh, decided there. All right, before we wrap up, we got another email from Ken in Iowa. He followed up. He wanted to know three questions here. I'm going to jump to his second one. He said, trade Rosario for a quality second baseman, maybe a Merrifield, and move Jimenez to shortstop. Ken, I just don't see that happening because there are so many middle infield prospects on this team coming up. There's so many guys they have to try out at shortstop or second base. I just don't see them adding someone in that spot. Now, first base, yes. I think they could definitely add to first base. The outfield, the outfield always seems to be in flux, although there seems to be a lot of candidates now to get at-bats for the outfield. Uh, with Jones coming up now and Quan being so good on the season, I could see Straw getting sit, sat down in center field, Quan playing some center field. And in fact, that's what I think when Oscar Gonzalez gets back. I think you might see that setup. I don't know, Gonzalez, has he played a lot of left field? That'd be the only question. If Jones or Gonzalez could go over and play left field, Quan can move into center, that would be a pretty interesting lineup of Gonzalez in left, Quan in center, Jones in right. Uh, Jones and Gonzalez are still both kind of figuring out the outfield. We've seen Gonzalez struggle going back on the ball. Um, You have to play some interesting left fields in the American League, you know, I'm just thinking Fenway and Houston and Cleveland even with the big wall in left field. So it would be a little bit of a learning curve over there in left. Uh, But also he could platoon Gonzalez and Jones a little bit in right field. I can see those guys getting into a little bit of platoon just to get people at bats. I don't want it. I want to see Nolan Jones hit every day. Uh, It's fantastic to watch that guy play offense. Um, But I could see Francona doing something like that, man. When he's got a lefty and a righty at his disposal, a uh, man that makes him happy uh, as a manager. So we'll see there. And then his third question, are there any good hitting catchers available at the All-Star break? Uh, even a 230 to 250 would be a great improvement. Yeah, I agree with you. I was looking over the list of catchers. I mean, Contreras from the Cubs is the name that pops out. There is catchers coming. Bo Naylor is coming, but it's not going to be this season. He just got to AAA. He's just figuring things out. There's so much a catcher has to know. Because remember, you not only have to be contribute offensively, but you got to be able to manage the pitching staff. you got to be able to control the run game. 
there are a lot of hurdles for catchers to get over as they jump up from league to league to league. So Bo Naylor is coming, but yeah, it would be really nice to have a stopgap that was, you know, giving you a little bit of offense. So I, I don't know. Sean Murphy in Oakland gives you a little bit of offense. Uh, the Oakland has already traded a catcher. They traded Bethancourt to, I believe, Tampa Bay. Uh, Tyler Stevenson in Cincinnati is a really good hitting catcher. But is that someone that they want to build around? Is that, you know, Cincinnati traded a lot of guys. Um, would they be willing to continue to tear things down? Uh, and then a lot of these teams are still in contention. So I don't know if they're going to be given up on guys. And the problem is too many teams are just still in contention. Uh, so yeah, there's some names out there. There's some names that even I, that I haven't really heard of um, out here that can hit. The question is, who is going to be available? Who is ready to sell on some catchers? The name on here that I wish we still had was Eric Haas, uh, who comes in at 30th in war over on Fangraphs when it comes to catchers. But He's productive offensively. I mean, he's got a 239 batting average. He's got a just over 700 OPS. He's got seven home runs and 22 RBIs. Uh, oh, 20 RBIs, 22 runs scored. That's a that's the guy from Detroit, Eric Haas, that I wish we still had around here because he would be a good stopgap. He would give you a little bit offensively, more than you're getting right now from your catchers. All right, Ken, I appreciate the email. Keep them coming. Morning, people. You can be like Ken and email questions in, and we'll discuss them on the show. So fill up that e- that email box. Fill up that inbox at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. It's a really easy thing to do. If you've got baseball questions, if you've got Guardians questions or thoughts, shoot them over, and we'll discuss them on the show. I always wanted the show to be an opportunity for fans' voice to be heard. So the email address is the easiest way to do that. All right. That is all my thoughts on this one. It's a long episode for a game where we got our butts kicked. And yeah, now we come home. We got a nice homestand before the All-Star break. What can we do with it? And will the White Sox coming in motivate us a little bit? Will we rise to our competition after definitely sinking to our competition over the last two two, uh, series? So that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Kansas City. It's the Royals 5, the Guardians 1. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.